to worship today as we join together in song and in praise. My name is Dan Dupuy. I'm the worship director here at Sunrise, and it's good to have you worshiping with us this first Sunday after Easter. So welcome. Why don't you guys stand as we prepare to worship and sing to God. I want to um, open things up this morning with a verse, actually, of our call to worship before we sing Death Was Arrested. This, uh, this verse comes from Lamentations, and um, I just think it's great to start things off today. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I think there's just there's so much hope in that. Um, whatever you may have been going through this week at work or with your family, or maybe uh, there was some crazy that happened in a family gathering at Easter last Sunday, whatever it may be, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So this morning when you woke up, his mercies were new for you. His grace was abounding for you today. And God is faithful. He is so faithful to us. So we can rest in that this morning and um, worship him because of that. So let's sing together. Death was arrested.
forever we're free. Come join the soul of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free forever. Amen. When death was arrested and my life began. Yes, we're free, free forever we're free. Come join the soul of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free forever. Springing up from this soul. 
nothing that we can do on our own to earn that, but you give us the gift of calling us into your family. God, you made us in your image, and you restore us back to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are holy and mighty and just, but you are also our Father you love us like a child, God. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your goodness, God, that doesn't end. Forgive us when we fall short and help us to keep turning to you. But God, thank you for your love. Let that give us freedom to walk with you, to serve you, to hear from you, and just to run to you, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning, Sunrise. That was pretty robust. I like that. Uh, My name is Dan Fisher. I'm the pastor here at Sunrise, and it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, As a community, we get to get together at times to do specific things. And one of the things we get to do, if you see this up here, you know what this is about if you've been with us before. 
uh, is child dedication, child baptism. That's where we, as a community of people, come together and do what people who have followed Jesus for a very long time have done. And that is to bring a family with a new child here in front of their own relatives and spiritual relatives so that we can make a commitment to that child, to that family, that we will walk with them so that this child who is a gift from God is celebrated and will hopefully someday come to know and love Jesus. And we want to make that commitment to the family, and we hope that that family will make the same commitment to us, to being a part of this community, because we believe God has created us to be in the context of community. And so I love child baptism. We're going to get to do that this morning. I'm going to go ahead and ask the Walters to come on up, Jordan and Alicia, Ella Jean, and Landon too. Awesome. (laughs) Her dress is beautiful. Is it really? Okay, so this is the same dress that Alicia wore when she was baptized in this building, which is really cool. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) What's that? Her name's Ella. Her name is Ella? It is. And your name is Landon, right? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Can I have a five? Cool. Well, it's good to see you up here, too. Yeah. Yeah. When we do this, parents take the time to select a passage from the Bible that becomes a prayer for the child. And the verse that is picked for Ella Jean by her parents, Alicia and Jordan, is this, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It's a beautiful verse to orient the life of a child who we hope will someday come to know and love Jesus. Now, the way this works, if you're new, is I'm going to ask the parents a couple of questions and they'll respond. And then I'll ask you as family and friends, spiritual families, whatever that looks like, to join with us and to make the same kind of commitment to each other. So we'll start with you, the parents, Jordan and Alicia (laughs) and Landon. Do you guys claim to know and love Jesus? Yes. And will you do everything you can? Even. You like Play Doh too? I like Play Doh too. Will you do everything you can to offer helping hands and kind words and listening ears to your daughter, to your sister, so that she will someday come to know and love Jesus? If so, say we will. Okay. Sunrise and family of the Walters, would you stand with me? I'd like to ask you the same questions. Do you, family and friends of the Walters, follow as best as you can this Jesus and claim him to be the savior of your life? If so, say we do. And will you, Sunrise, family and friends of Landon and Ella Jean and Alicia and Jordan, do all you can Though you are not perfect, to offer helping hands and listening ears, encouraging words, and displays of Jesus' love, so that someday Ella Jean would grow to know and love Jesus as well. If so, say we will. God, we thank you for this family, for the gift of new life. Uh, We believe that you've created us to live in the context of community, where we can talk about who you are, we can talk about Plato, and we can celebrate the gift of new life. God, we pray that you would bless this family. We pray that you would continue to walk with Ella Jean in such a way that she would become compelled by your love for her. In Jesus' name, amen. Ella Jean, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good job. And Landon? This is for your sister, okay? But you're the big brother. Can you help her out with that book? Yeah? All right, have another five. All right, good job. All right, guys, in just a moment, uh, as they make their way down, why don't you guys go ahead and greet each other, find this family, shake their hands, give them a hug, welcome them here. And then kids, you're welcome to go back to your rooms as well during this time. Thanks for being with us.
Well, that's my cue, I guess. Why don't you guys find your ways to your seat? I'm not preaching this morning. I do have announcements for us, a few things to bring to our attention in the life of Sunrise over the next few weeks. Um, first of all, uh, we mentioned this last week um, at our Easter service. In a couple weeks, Mother's, it is Mother's Day. I'm sure you're not surprised about this. You're very, this is one of your favorite days of the year coming up on May 8th. We're going to have a special service that day. We're going to recognize our moms. We will have donuts on that day again. We'll have a photo booth for moms and their families to take pictures. We'll have some crafts for the kids as well. So come back on, um, on that special service that Sunday in two weeks, May 8th. Next, for our students, our youth group out there, Sunrise students, there'll be a pajama bowling party this Wednesday at Hudsonville Lanes. So kiddos, come on out in your PJs. Super exciting. Maybe not like full-on onesies so you slip on the lanes. Maybe put some slippers on there to have some grip to them. Uh, But there will be bowling over at Hudsonville Lanes this Wednesday night. Super fun. So come on out for that. Lastly, in um, a a week after our Mother's Day service on May 15th, we're going to have a special service actually over at Hager Park. We're going to have a big volunteer celebration service. We'd like to recognize all of our volunteers that have helped out in all of the various ministries all throughout this past year. Recognize you guys um, in that service and also have a fun cookout after the service as well. So mark that on your calendars, May 15 in three weeks. We will not be here. We'll have the service over at Hager Park. We'll give you guys directions on all that, but it's very close to where we've had our services in the, um, in the past at Hager Park, but across the street in that big building on the south playground side where the new zip line is and this big ropes thing that they just put up a few weeks ago. That's the area that we'll be having our services. So come on out on May 15th. Um, we'll have more details coming about food and stuff. Um, I'll be... We'll provide some food. We'll have you guys bring some potluck food as well and have a big fun service for that. So that's May 15. May 8 is Mother's Day service and this Wednesday's youth group pajama bowling. So that's for me, Dan. Did you do the QR code? If you happen to get bored during the service, there is a QR code somewhere in front of you. Uh, that you can scan, that'll give you more information about our church. It gives you an opportunity to ask us questions. It's kind of like a Swiss army knife to uh, connect with us outside of the service in a way that's helpful for you. And if you're new, we'd love to meet you. We've got a welcome desk back in the lobby there. You can stop by there, shake a hand. Uh, We just want to say that we're glad to see you. So again, welcome. My name is Dan Fisher. Whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, So last Sunday, what, what was last Sunday? You guys should know this. It was... Easter, yes, well done, good job. Um, If you're like me, you can easily forget those kinds of things. It already feels like it was at least a couple of weeks ago. Uh, But last week was Easter, and one of the things that we talked about then was that there is a life that continues after Easter. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. He is welcomed by his disciples, and the storyline doesn't stop there. It continues. And so one of the things that we will do over the next couple of weeks is talk about what does life look like after Easter. N.T. Wright rightfully says that we as followers of Jesus are an Easter people. By that he means it is Easter that puts its fingerprint on us most because it is in the story of Easter that we find that death and sin and chaos and everything that is wrong with the world is overcome by the power of a loving God who comes to save us. And so the, the, the desire then for everyone who follows Jesus is to live a life that is shaped not just by the cross, but also by the resurrection. And so that's what we'll talk about over the next few weeks. As we jump into this, the conversation for this morning is going to focus on this very topic. What is a life worth? I think that Easter helps us answer this question well. Now, pause button for a second. I want to very clearly say something because we live in a world where sometimes words have been co-opted by others to mean certain things or to trigger certain thoughts for people in ways that they don't need to. So I want to say this very clearly. This is not a political conversation. Say it with me. This is not a political conversation, okay? We, as followers of Jesus, should be able to talk about anything and everything, whether it is around our dining room tables, in our cars, or in environments like this, 
without feeling the pressure of a divisive political world trying to cut its way into this space. So, what is the value of a life, for many of us, again, can trigger all kinds of political thoughts. That is not my aim. So if you begin to think, at some point during this service, I'm going to send Dan an email because he's talking politically, you can send it, but I might not read it because this is not political. All right, disclaimer's over. I want to read you a couple of quotes here. When one thinks coldly, I see no reason for attributing to man or woman a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. This is the Chief Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. who said this. This is a perspective that some people have on the value of life. Some of us, as we hear what our kids say or we hear what it is that's on TV about what a life is worth, we hear thoughts like these. There's not much value there. And when we see the story of Jesus as he makes his way to the cross and he is condemned by the religious leaders, we hear them saying something like this, Jesus' life is not worth much. But then there's another side of the perspective that says that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. C.S. Lewis, a Christian thinker who spent much of his time trying to help people who wanted to understand who Jesus was and then live in light of who Jesus was, took the time to write things like this that would help us understand that there's inherent value in every human life. We are pretty good with embracing that. That's not a difficult thing for us to agree with most of the time. I mean, after all, in Genesis, we find these words that Moses wrote about the beginning of mankind, that God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the image of God is an unchanging state of being. It's not your body, it's not a function, and it's not an achievement. Some Genesis pastor thought that was a pretty good thing to say. In the life of every person, we are told by Moses in the creation story, is something that we cannot quite wrap our arms around or put our finger on or name outside of saying it is the image of God. And that that image of God being imprinted on every person assigns to every person regardless of how tall or short they are, how wide or narrow, what their accent is or isn't, who they find attractive or who they don't, has a value that is higher than the palm trees or the birds up in the air or the flowers in the field. But like I said, there are some people who would say something different than that, that there is a value to life that really is not much higher than that of a baboon or a grain of sand. Like I said at the very beginning of this conversation, I think that Easter helps us see differently the value of life. One more quote for you here. Timothy Keller says that the image of God carries with it the right to not be mistreated or harmed. The image of God carries with it the right to not be mistreated or harmed. And this is a good place for this reminder again. This is not political. God, we come to you this morning as a people who claim to follow you and your son. That means that when we say that, we are saying not only is what your son said something that we find to be compelling, but that the way he lived provides for us a template to live by, a way to live as well. God, at sunrise, we want to do that in such a way that the way we live, the way we communicate, transforms this world with your love and with your grace. 
And so as we have this conversation, help us to gain what we need to in terms of perspective, in terms of knowledge, understanding, so that we can be a people who live well for your sake. In Christ's name, amen. So what is a life worth? In Galatians chapter 3, Paul, who writes this letter, decides that he's going to communicate to a group of people who lived in Galatia about what a life is worth, what is distinct and what is not distinct about people. Now, to set this up a little bit, Paul is someone who, for a period of time, was really involved in the religious world. He followed everything that the church told him to do to the T. He read, if if he was like me, he read only from the King James Version Bible. He didn't wear jeans to church. He tucked in his shirt. He wore a belt, and he never swore, except when he stubbed his toe, and then it was only in his head. But he followed all of the rules. And at some point, his life intersected with the story and life of Jesus to the point where he gave up the need, the felt need to follow all of the rules in order to pursue Jesus in his way of life. And in the process of doing that, Paul decided that he would invest his time and his energy in living for, in visiting people who followed Jesus, and in writing to those people so that they could understand his own perspective of who Jesus was. And the book that we call Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people who decided to follow Jesus who lived in a community called Galatia. You can find that place on the map today. Those people who lived there were called Galatians. Here's what he writes to them, part of it. He says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now there's a lot there, but I want to focus on just one thing, really, and in doing that, I want to go back to these kind of pairs that Paul brings up. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that there is no distinct difference in anyone. We will sometimes say the phrase, I am colorblind. And what that can sometimes sound like to people is, It doesn't matter if you have a spray-on sunburn like I do right now. It's not spray-on. I earned this puppy yesterday. It doesn't matter if your skin is darker. It doesn't matter if it's lighter. Really, that's of no value whatsoever. That's not what Paul is saying to uh, people in terms of their skin color. It's not what he's saying to women or to men. Women, yeah, you're just the same as men, or men, you're just the same as women. No, no, no. What he's saying is there is no reason for us to pit ourselves against each other. It does not matter if you are American or Russian. It doesn't matter if you are Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter if you are black or Latino. It doesn't matter if you are a male or a female. When you find your identity in Christ. Now why in the world would Paul say this to a group of people who wanted to follow Jesus well? I mean, this is after Easter. Paul is someone who came after Jesus' story. He saw a part of Jesus' life. But he's saying something that for many of us, we fly right by. What's the importance of what's here? What Paul is saying in this passage, if he were speaking to the group of people in this room who are watching online, I think what he would be saying is this. Every life is valuable. It doesn't matter if you are in the room right now or if you are watching online. It doesn't matter if your family is here because you're celebrating the baptism of your granddaughter or your niece or your daughter. It doesn't matter if you're here because you're part of the band. What matters is that you're you. And Paul would go on to say, if you claim to be following Jesus, then you have all of the worth that you could ever need. 
So it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you're planning to do later this week. It doesn't matter how you voted or whether you think that the government is moving in the right direction or the wrong direction, because those are not the things that define who we are. What defines us is the story of God's movement of love towards his people. And where Paul anchors this in his theology, he doesn't say it in Galatians chapter 3, but for those of us who have walked through the timeline of Scripture and understood what it is that Jesus is saying in a cumulative way, what God is saying in a cumulative way through his people is that God loves all of us because God made all of us. Genesis chapter 1, he created us in his image as male, as female. He created us in his image as Ukrainians, as Brazilians, as Spanish people, as American people. And so I think what Paul is trying to communicate to the people of Galatia, to the people who live now trying to live lives in light of Easter that communicate the kind of life that Jesus lived is this. When you approach and are part of the church, you should feel welcomed and valued and loved. How do you feel about that? Everybody okay inside right now? (laughs) If we serve a God who made all people in his image, and if in the image of God he created us different, as male and as female, and we live in different parts of the globe, and yet that's not what identifies us as being valued, but it is the inherent, invisible thumbprint of God in our lives that we call the image of God. If that is what gives us value, then logically speaking, spiritually speaking, nothing else should really matter. I'll say it one more time. This is not political. This is not political. There's a a story that Jesus told when he walked this earth to help followers of him understand his approach to life and his way of viewing people and the way that God's love should be dispensed toward individuals. And I just want to share share that story with you real quick. It's a story, of, it's in Matthew chapter 20, the story of the vineyard. You've got this guy who's a farmer. We'll say it's an apple orchard. We don't know what it was. It's an apple orchard. He's, it's a huge crop, and he's got to have a whole bunch of workers come in and help him clear all of the apples from the trees. And so he goes out into the city square, and he hires people that morning to come and help him. And it's, what do you know, it's a job market like ours where people need work. So people sign up, they show up to work, and they work hard. And at lunchtime, the owner goes back out to the same area, and he begins to hire more people and says, come and work for me. I'll pay you for a day's work at the end of the day. And they come in. And word keeps getting out, and more and more people keep coming in. Even as late as 3 o'clock, as the day is winding down, there are new people walking into the job site. At the end of the day, everyone gets in a line to get their paycheck. What the owner of this apple orchard does not do is say, okay, Look, buddy, I know you came at 8, so I'm going to pay you everything. You're going to get a full day's wages, but I'm going to take away an hour and a half worth of work because you sat down for a while. He doesn't say to the people who came in at 3 o'clock, you know what, I know that we said we would pay you a full day's wages, but you were only here for a couple of hours, so you're going to get a prorated amount. No. What the owner of this apple orchard does is something that is absolutely bananas. He looks past the work that people did or did not do, and he assigns to them a value in the form of a paycheck that is commensurate with a full day's work. And everyone there (laughs) who worked all day felt what you feel right now. That's not fair. What in the world? Like, I have been sweating. I have blisters on my hands. I'm allergic to apples. And you're going to give this schmuck over here who's been eating apples for the last two hours since he got here the same amount of money? What Jesus is teaching in that parable is that he will love 
and he will give his grace to whomever he wants. Because the value of a life is not in your function. It's not in how much you show up at work or don't. It's in the invisible imprint of the image of God that you inherently have by simply being human. How are you doing with that? How does this affect our view of other people's lives? I mean, it's really easy for us to look at stories like this, this parable, and think, man, I'm so glad that God sees my life as that valuable, because he's right, it is. But there's this other guy down the road, man, you should see what he's done to his yard. The stuff he has hanging up out there, his bumper stickers, you should see this kid at school. Holy cow. Like, it's real bad what he did. If you knew what he did, like, you would understand you should not sit next to him. If you talked to her, you would know, holy Moses, her life is messed up. And you don't want your daughters to be like her. So when you're walking the life, metaphorically or literally speaking, make sure you kind of shepherd your children around that person. Now, I get that there's tension in all of that. We should live our lives in the best way that we can. But can we see that sometimes we can assign more value or less value to a life not based on the presence of the image of God, but instead based on the work that someone does or does not do. So how does this view of life that finds its anchor back in the creation story that Moses wrote for followers of God, that finds its way at the foot of the cross where Jesus dies and doesn't say as his last words, I'm dying for 40% of the world and not the other 60%. Like, that would just be ridiculous, right? And he gives himself for everyone. One reminder again. Say it with me. This is not political. But the way and life and death and resurrected life of Jesus should inform our own lives and the things that we are willing to die for and what our new lives will look like. So I want to go back to our very beginning question. What is the value of a typical life? You don't have to answer this out loud. Just come with me on a journey just silently for a minute. What's the value of a typical life? Pretty Cut forward, straight answer, hopefully. What about an unborn life? An officer's life? An unemployed life? How about a migrant life? Is the image of God present in an organized life? Does someone have to be not addicted enough to have the same value as you? What's the value of a transgender life? Reminder, this is not political. What's the value of a victim's life? How about a put-together life? A felon's life. An impaired life. A minority's life. If as you see these things come up on the screen, you feel a little bit of tension inside, And I won't even name that tension. And you don't even have to raise your hand to say if there is tension inside as you see this stuff come up and as you consider it. I want to tell you this. You're normal. We are followers of Jesus. We are not 
Jesus, and so it is okay for us to battle against the idea that there are some lives that are just as much, they're worth just as much as our own. But the constant call of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus is for us to live in light of his values and the way he has created us to be, not in the way we want to create ourselves. There are a couple of other quotes here that I want to share with you. This one my my daughter actually helped me see. This is from Kingsley Shacklebolt, the character in Harry Potter, who says that we're all human, aren't we? Every human life is worth the same and worth saving. Raise your hand if you disagree. Well done. (laughs) You're all still awake enough to know not to raise your hand right then. (laughs) Awesome. Well done. This is something that I think we can all read and we can say to ourselves as we read it. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I agree. But we live in worlds where this is hard, right? I mean, it's hard when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night because they've wet their bed to orient your words and your actions toward them in such a way that you're communicating value and love for that child. It is difficult to live in a world where there are bumper stickers and Facebook posts all over the place that you happen to disagree with to orient your response in text, in verbal face-to-face conversation, or even just in your mind to orient yourself toward that person with a sense of value and of love. And that sense of value and love does not have to say, I agree with everything you're saying and doing. Don't confuse that. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus did not say to the people who were wanting to crucify him or to those who would kill his followers, you know what? Every decision you're making to do this is perfect. I agree. I affirm it. No. But in the midst of all of it, he communicated love. He gave up himself for everyone. Last quote I want to read to you here is from Bruce Waltke. He says this after looking at what the righteous lives of people in the Bible look like. He says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. He goes on to say that it is the wicked in Scripture who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. This particular perspective on life and how we should be using our advantage and how we should be approaching disadvantage finds its home in the person of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, we meet a Jesus who came to this earth giving up all of his privileges, giving up the heavenly realm that he was in to come here and clothe himself as a human to give up his rights, to give up his life so that everyone who is disadvantaged could become advantaged. And Jesus could not do that if he was not someone who sees that every life is valuable. So I asked the question, what is the value of a life? Or, put differently, what's a life worth? This is a question that whether you know it or not, Our world is asking you. You're not seeing it show up on your Facebook post. Hey, Dan Fisher, how much is a life worth to you? But there are people in this world who, just like there were when Paul was writing this letter to the Galatians, who are looking at the people of God, asking the question, you say that God created the world and that everyone has God's image in them, so what would you say a life is worth? doesn't take much combing through the news, listening to the radio, to understand that that's a reverberating question that's coming at us all the time. And how we answer this question will either orient people toward the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who gives himself for everyone, or it will orient people's lives away from that. 
So I want to answer this question very succinctly for you from my perspective that I think Scripture brings to bear for us based on the creation story, based on how Jesus lived his life and how he gave his life for everyone. So the answer that I have for this question that I think is anchored in Scripture is this. What is a life worth? Life is worth your advantages. A life is worth your advantages. We have no qualms about this when we have to give up our advantage, the things that we've accumulated, our money, our time, our energy, to take care of a crying three-month-old grandchild. We willingly give up our advantages for the sake of having things that look great. Do we give up our advantages for the sake of communicating to the world around us that every life is valuable. Jesus did to the point where he gave his life on the cross and overcame all of the muck of life so that he could stand in front of followers who were with him then and who are spiritually present with him now, us, and offer to exchange his advantage for our disadvantage spiritually. Sunrise, may we be this kind of people who use our advantages to approach people as though all of them are valuable so that they could see and adopt this Jesus who we follow, to be their Savior as well. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for seeing our lives as valuable enough to send your son here for us. We we don't want people following us in our lives all the time, seeing us in the dark spaces that we create where no one can see us so that we can kind of do the things or think the things or believe the things that we want to think or do or believe or whatever. And yet there's no way that we can shake you off of our tail in those moments of life if we believe what Scripture tells us. And if that is the case, then you're with us through all of the high moments of life, all of the mundane moments of life, and all of the really mucky, dark moments of life. And we've accumulated parts of ourselves that we're fine with other people seeing because we think that communicates value. And we are collecting parts of ourselves that we hide from other people because we think if those are seen, that there's a lack of value then that's assigned to us. And yet you're with us and you see all of those pieces. And you love us. And the story that you've woven together and that has been told on this earth for thousands of years is one of a love that overcomes all of those dark pieces. You look past the chaos. You see, through the warts of our lives, you don't focus on our stinkiness. You're not more attracted to us because our BMI is just right or because we followed enough rules. You see and you approach us and you love us and you sustain us and you provide for us and you are with us in the dark moments of life because you see yourself the image of yourself that you put in us, in us. So God, as a people who have followed your story from the moment of creation through the Red Sea, through the desert, to the point of the cross, resurrection, we want to live in light of the truth of your love that is constantly pursuing us in all the moments of life. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the end of every service, we sing a song. Uh, There are people who will mill around and talk for a while. You'll see some people who will put money in a bucket back there. These are all ways, and there are more ways than that, that you can respond to what it is that you've heard this morning. Whether what you've heard this morning has been uh, the thing that you're focusing on came through songs that we sang or what we just talked about, what you listened to, or something else. But we do believe that as followers of Jesus... Living as a follower of his requires more than just sitting and listening. But it requires us 
to take life in in such a way that even in spaces like this, we're figuring out the things that we can weed out of our lives and the things that we can pull in so that as we continue to live our lives, we can do it in a way that is compelling, that's whimsical, that transforms this world, not with great arguments, but with grace and with love. So as we continue the service, as we sing, as we give, join with us in whatever way is most helpful for you as you seek to do that. that I think are applicable to us. At the end of the day, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with your spirit, my brothers and sisters. Amen. Have a great week. We love you, Sunrise.